I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. As the award season recedes into distant memory, we drift into business as normal. In fact, slightly more normal these days as cinemas around the world start to join New Zealand in throwing their doors open. But at the risk of sounding ungrateful, there's a certain sameness of product right now. There are certainly a lot of monster movies, Godzilla, Love and Monsters, and this week a second helping of A Quiet Place. There are people out there worth saving. I don't know, dear. I Another formula wearing out its welcome, with me at any rate, is the look at me, I've got Alzheimer's drama. The latest is The Artist's Wife, starring Bruce Dern and Lena Olin. You don't see anything different? I see something different, okay. Richard, what and it's you. It? You can't paint. You never really tried. After The Father, June again, Never Too Late and the rest, I think I've given enough to this particular good cause. The third movie genre seemingly unavoidable in 2021 is films featuring Frank Grillo. Hard to believe that just two months ago I'd never even heard of Frank, but right now he's in everything from Cosmic Sin and Boss Level to the upcoming Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. They're planning a full-scale cyber attack. Do not screw this up. But we are definitely going to screw this up. The good news, though, is the arrival of a bunch of films that reject monsters, tragedies, sequels and violence. After two years away, the French Film Festival is back, and I have to say, not before time. If you're up for romance, frothy comedy and Gallic charm, your wait is over. Festival director Fergus Grady will offer some tips later in the show. The one thing the French film festival Aotearoa can't offer is Frank Grillo. For that, you need to turn to modern western no man's land. No le ves la espalda a Dios. ¿Quién le dio la espalda a quién? One thing you've got to give No Man's Land credit for is it's a pretty good title for a movie. In fact, at least six other movies thought so too, which is possibly one reason why you think you've already seen it. The other reason is it's about a guy in a cowboy hat riding across the Texas desert on a mission. The story opens on the Greer Ranch. My dad says we don't live in America. We live in Texas. I got Norcos and smokers on my property every day. 
drugs and guns in our backyard. That's Dad, played by actor du jour Frank Grillo. Mum is played by Andy McDowell, a long way from Groundhog Day and four weddings and a funeral. And there are two sons, Lucas, the one who's staying at home, and Jackson, who's off to play baseball with the New York Yankees. At least he will if there isn't any trouble along the way. Saving the ranch is not your job. This is our home. Get the hell off our land! I don't want to lose it. We're just passing by. We're going to trouble. Are you all? And here comes Trouble, a family of Mexicans travelling through the Greer Ranch at night. Well, there's only one way to deal with this down in Texas. The Greer men grab a bunch of rifles and start firing them. Dad! Get away! Get away! Fernando! When the smoke clears, Lucas is wounded and a Mexican kid is dead. The kid's father, Gustavo, is distraught and Jackson feels somehow to blame, you know, for firing in so many directions in the pitch black. He explains this to a Texas ranger the next day before hightailing it to Mexico on his faithful horse, Sundance. Yes, really. This ain't fair. They were on our land. Shot a boy in the back. Hey! How dare you chase our son off Mexico like he's some criminal? Things can get a lot worse. Tell him to come home. And that's pretty much all you need to know about No Man's Land, except it's the first major feature by two Texas brothers, Connor Allen, who directs and produces, and Jake Allen, who writes, produces, and plays Jackson Greer. As far as Jake Allen's acting is concerned, you can't deny that he looks pretty good on a horse. And back in the long-gone heyday of the Western, that was pretty much all you needed. Horse. I don't know if I can fix what I did down here. But I gotta try. But while Gary Cooper, John Wayne, Audie Murphy and the rest also had limited acting chops, they had one other thing going for them. Pretty good writers and very good directors. Jake Allen's just got his brother Connor. And no offence to the Allen brothers, but they're no great threat to John Ford, Clint Eastwood, Sam Peckinpah or Sergio Leone. Sometimes you have to close your eyes and start over to see things clearly. No Man's Land follows Jackson into Mexico where he's the illegal alien. See what they did there? Seeking redemption. Meanwhile, Gustavo, the grieving father, is out for blood, urged on by a villainous blonde Mexican punk. No father should bury his son. Mi padre. Along the way, Jackson runs into the sort of characters that lone riders used to meet in Western Quest movies, while the noble Texas Ranger tries to bring him in and the bad guy tries to bring him down. Of course, the real question at the heart of a film like No Man's Land is, will this one revive the old-fashioned Western? Well, I think we all know the answer to that. Seis, siete,
A couple of years ago, an effective little horror flick called A Quiet Place was put together by John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. They played a husband and wife in a world, as they used to say, where alien monsters are super sensitive to sound. Make a noise and they'll get you is the thumbnail description. Krasinski also directed and co-wrote the film and his major achievement was to construct set pieces that were so tense and effective that you didn't notice that the story made the bare minimum of sense. It was a big hit. Hence, as is always the case with Hollywood, the sequel. We'll make that a combined prequel and sequel. We open on day one of the alien invasion as the Abbott family goes shopping in their little hometown at the very moment that things start happening on the news. That'll happen. A bomb, I think. No sooner are they back in the car when various ETs start attacking. And sensibly, A Quiet Place Part 2 doesn't bog itself down with too much added detail or explanation. Look out, here comes another one, is all you need to know. Flash forward 474 days, and now it's just Emily Blunt. Hubby got killed in the first film with two kids and a baby. Their secret weapon, as it is for the two films, is hearing-impaired actor Millicent Simmons as the deaf daughter Regan. You may or may not remember that her hearing implant could be weaponized against the monsters. I don't know why you came all the way up here. There's nothing left. Now, if you didn't see the first one, you may start asking inconvenient questions like, how many monsters are there out there and how did so few manage to obliterate the world's population? Well, the correct response to this sort of nitpicking is shut up. Anyway, the family takes off towards some smoke on the horizon, which suggests there may be more people around. Well, there are and there aren't. Killian Murphy is around, but he tells Emily that he can't help, and the few other survivors have apparently turned feral. You don't know, do you? I do. The people that are left. Emily refuses to believe him. After all, she says, we've got each other. But no sooner have they formed a unit when events conspire to separate them. Daughter Regan takes off to get help without telling anyone. It's that sort of movie. So Killian reluctantly goes after her, also on his own. There are people out there. 
We won't survive. We have to try. Meanwhile, Emily decides to go on her own solo mission to get medical supplies. She leaves the middle kid back at the shack to look after the baby. Actually, the way things are going, I'm surprised the baby doesn't run away too at this stage. People had finally given up hope. All of this sneaking off in different directions is to allow director John Krasinski to show his skill once again at long, tense, silent set pieces. On several occasions, he cuts between three or four different scenes in which three or four characters are being stalked by three or four aliens. There's almost literally nothing much else to A Quiet Place Part 2 any more than there was to its predecessor, and for what it is, it's pretty effective. The aliens are scary, particularly when you're not expecting them, but frankly, who are you going to put your money on? Monsters who have a nervous breakdown at the slightest noise, or Emily Blunt with a shotgun and unlimited bullets? Me too. The effect of today's upheaval on the cinema has been well noted, in the United States at any rate, and north of the English Channel. But how have the film industries of Europe been affected, in particular the hugely successful French one? The French contribution to international festivals over the years has been enormous, but the most enjoyable wallow comes in the usually annual French film festival Aotearoa where international film festivals select the critically acclaimed and award-winning, the French one salutes the popular hits. If you want to know what French audiences think and how French filmmakers are getting on, this is your first stop. I'm joined by the freshly appointed festival director, Fergus Grady, to walk us through this year's Creme de la Creme. Kia ora, Fergus, and bonjour. Kia ora, Simon. Bonjour. <laughs> well, there was a break last year, wasn't there, for the film uh, festival, for obvious reasons, I'm guessing. Yeah, a lot of uh, disruption last year, but we're excited about bringing audiences back to the cinema this year, and uh, we've got some great films that you've alluded to. This is your first go formally um, on the French Film Festival, but I'm assuming that you've had quite a lot to do with French films wearing your other hat. Yeah, my uh, I guess my day job is to um, distribute French films, but uh, we saw an opportunity to broaden our um, business, and, and I think partnering with our uh, strong exhibitors around New Zealand and getting audiences to um, to the cinema is, is one of our main priorities right now. How fresh are these films? Are they pre- or post-COVID? Most of them are pre-COVID. I would say that only two are, are sort of around the COVID period and we've had to sort of get a lot of permission to screen. So mm. we've got some films almost having their world premieres. So mm. it's exciting that we can steal a couple of films off the French and have down under premieres. How has the French film industry been coping? I mean, I'm guessing that it closed down like everybody else 
uh, in the middle of last year. How's it been doing since then? Well, I guess looking at the exhibition in the cinemas, they've been in and out of lockdown since we were in March. So today marks the first day back. They're at 35% capacity in Paris at the moment. So uh, there's reportedly queues around the corners of French cinemas in Paris. Mm. Um, and then they'll step stage into um, 100% capacity by the time the Cannes Film Festival rolls around in, in just over a month. Well, they do love their cinema, don't they, in France? And um, this festival, as I said in the introduction, is rather different from the international ones. It's driven by popular hits, and this is aimed at local French audiences, isn't it? Well, I think French filmmakers and French cinema is famous for comedies, so we've tried to bring the creme de la creme of, of French comedy, and there's a lot of light fare that we celebrate. I mean, I think people enjoy a glass of bubbles, and they can just enjoy the, the French farce. Before we get into some of the films that you've got at the festival, I have to say that one thing that's coloured my view of a lot of these films is a popular TV hit, Call My Agent, which I think opened a lot of people's eyes to what a wide scene the French film business is. You know, there are a whole lot of stars that we knew and a whole lot of stars that are hugely popular, obviously, in France that we didn't know, but we're kind of intrigued by now. Yeah, um, the actor Gregory Montel, I think, is now quite famous in a lot of uh, Kiwi living rooms. Um, <laughs> and we've got him in a film called Perfumes, which is a, a real crowd pleaser. And as well, Omar C, who's known well with the Netflix show Lupin, and he's in one of our films, Night Shift. I see that you've got somebody else from uh, Call My Agent too in your opening film. This is uh, Antoinette de Savenne, and I can't remember the name of the actress, but she always plays rather gauche people, and she's gauche to the max in this one here, isn't she? Yes, we have Laura Calamy. She's just come off uh, the best César for Antoinette in the Savennes and, and, yeah, again, featuring in a very well-loved TV show. So we're excited to present these French actors who have been discovered, I guess, from, from our living rooms over the past 12 months. One thing I love about French films is that they don't feel genre. There are quite a lot of romantic comedies, there's quite a lot of bedroom farces, but they all seem original. You don't have a clue what's going to happen next in a lot of these films. You know, Amelie was one of those films that you couldn't put into a box, and I think a lot of French filmmakers have followed on. They have one of the most original, creative, storyline film industries, I think, in the world. You know, it's a pleasure to watch uh, the films and then present them to audiences around Aotearoa. They seem to be not remotely keen on doing sequels. They just want to tell a new story. Well, I think they have this sort of production line of, of great young directors coming through and they get opportunities that maybe we don't as as Kiwi directors. So mm. it's nice to see new names and, and one of the films we're proud of is um, a film called Skies of Lebanon, which marks Chloe Maslow's directorial debut and, and I can only compare it to Wes Anderson and its animation versus live action style. So it's it's an exciting film for her to premiere. And set in old Beirut in Lebanon, comparing and contrasting with today, I'm guessing. Yes, yeah, Skies of Lebanon is set during that beautiful period where Lebanon was quite free and, and liberal with their dress, and that's presented in the costumes in the film, and, and it's quite an uplifting film, a lovely love story, so we, we're proud of that one. You've got a film that I think will intrigue a lot of people. This is De Gaulle. We, we see him through British eyes usually. Now, finally, we get to see the French De Gaulle in some respects. Yeah, he's a bit of a maverick, and I think that's why he's such a compelling central character protagonist in this film. And um, the film's done exceptionally well in, in Australia, well-received in their French film festival. Mm. So we're excited to sort of present that with the historical narrative of him. 
There's a fascination with French film history this year too, I noticed, Fergus. I mean, you've got the late Bertrand Tavernier, brilliant French director, who did his piece on the whole of French cinema at the time that Scorsese was doing America and Sam Neill was doing New Zealand. But apparently it's a brilliant documentary. Yeah, we're, we're excited to present this film. It's, it's a bit uh, long, I would say. It's three hours and 20 minutes, so it's, everyone's going to get their money's worth if they can see it uh, on the big screen. And it's really a nice homage to Tavnir because he passed away earlier this year and mm. a lot of people have paid uh, respects to him and, and he pays respects to a lot of those great filmmakers from the 50s, 60s and 70s. And you're paying tribute to one of them too, aren't you? you it, this probably hasn't been seen on a big screen for about 50 years. This is breathless. Yeah, Breathless uh, in 4K. So we're excited to present a restoration of the film that Godard's famous for. And I believe the French are going to be seeing it this week in their cinemas. So it's exciting to have that kind of simultaneous exclusivity around that film. One film I was intrigued by was a thing called The Man in the Hat. And I've seen the trailer for it and... You just look at it and you think, this is Jacques Tati, except it's got the least likely star. This is a guy called Kieran Hines, who's a brilliant Irish actor. What can you tell me about The Man in the Hat? Is there any dialogue in it? There's very little dialogue, but as you say, the Jacques Tati physical humour through the scenarios that play out is, is a fabulous ride through the south of France and highly recommended. Yeah, it's, it's a fun film and one that I think is a nice escape from uh, us not being able to travel to France. And then there's a film starring Isabelle Huppert, which is her dope comedy. It's, it's claimed as a sort of a cross between um, Breaking Bad and Cheech and Chong, neither of which I associate with Isabelle Huppert. It's an absolute uh, hoot, this film. I love The Godmother, and Isabelle Huppert is incredible at every role that she uh, undertakes. So we're excited to present The Godmother, and it's one of those memorable films that a lot of people will walk away from. Having looked at all of these films, Fergus, I mean, is the one that you would pick out as perhaps one that might swim under the radar in a way if you didn't sort of point it out? Is there one that you think might be overlooked otherwise? Well, obviously we chose Antoinette in the Cévennes as our opening night film, um, which is going to be a crowd pleaser, and we're going to be opening that in 11 different towns and cities across the country. So uh, most of New Zealand will have a chance to see that film. But a film that may not be as widely released, I think, is Only the Animals, uh, which is a great thriller, um, and it premiered in Venice Film Festival when they had their little time in the sun last year. They were able to successfully have a film festival in Venice. That's a great one and uh, highly recommended only the animals. I mean, the trailers are quite different from what I was expecting. You read the blurb and you say, oh, I see where this is going. And then suddenly it isn't going there at all. It's going somewhere different (laughs) and fun. Yeah, we hope fun. I think a lot of the films are definitely out of the box. And and I think that will be a fun ride for people with a glass of wine and hopefully a, a fun, crowded audience. And finally, wearing your other hat again, Fergus, I mean, what is the state of, uh, of the movie industry at the moment in the whole of Europe? I mean, are they making films still? I believe so, Simon. I think uh, with the Cannes Film Festival announcement um, of their competition lineup, there will be a number of films that have been in production for a couple of years or right. may have already finished and just awaiting distribution. But then there's some fantastic filmmakers who have had films screen over the last 12 months that have been secretly working away in some kind of COVID-safe environment to mm. um, hopefully bring and premiere films in this year's Cannes Film Festival. So most of 
of the distributors around Australia and New Zealand will be tuning in in two weeks when Theory, the director, announces the lineup and, and hopefully virtually screening films in July when some of the French industry will actually head down to the Côte d'Azur and uh, watch films on the Quisette, which is, it seems like a foreign thing to do right now, but maybe that'll be us next year. I'm looking at what's going on at the moment over the last year, and, I mean, the cinemas in this country are doing okay. I mean, there's, you know, new films keep popping up, though, obviously, judging by the social distance of the actors in it, you can pretty much tell that they're all pre-COVID. But you worry that they're going to run out. Do you think that's a real and present danger? I think maybe if there was any danger of that, that would be sort of later this year or early next year. I know that a lot of even the Australian and New Zealand distributors have a lot of films ready to release and we're looking at a schedule that's quite busy until December. If, let's say, there were no Venice or Toronto film festivals this year, that could potentially disrupt production or, or, or distribution channels. But we're always looking at Limelight for those cute little stories that people may overlook. So I'm sure there's lots of great limelight films coming out this year, but uh, I'm not sure about the blockbusters. They'll they'll be uh, looking to James Bond in September to decide the future of the theatrical business. That's Fergus Grady, the director of the French film festival Aotearoa. It opens in Auckland on June the 9th and then rolls out all over the country. Check out the dates on their website, www.frenchfilmfestival.co.nz. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.